It's Friday, December 30th, 2016, and you're tragically listening to Catching Foxes, a show that is dedicated to discussion over instruction on those issues relating to the collision of faith and culture. As we close out the worst year on record, minus all those like really horrific years like Europe in the 1930s and 40s, etc., we look back at 70 episodes of Catching Foxes. Today's show is one of those end-of-the-year highlight reels that I made on my staycation, more or less as an excuse to get away from my kids. Thanks, Shannon. You're the best. Kiss, kiss. In this episode, we include some of the humor, some of the serious stuff, and even some of the sad stuff. It's a little over an hour long, so we couldn't include everything we wanted, but I think you'll love it. Stay tuned for the ending, because we'll have the final update on the great Seek 2017 That Catholic Couple slash Luke from Catching Foxes meetup on January 6th. They actually picked a location and everything. Thank you to all the fans of Catching Foxes. To all of you who have written reviews on iTunes, chimed in on our Facebook page, binge listened, and followed faithfully. Luke and I are always a bit nervous to launch this stuff out into the world, but we feel like we need to create and not just consume, and we are thankful that you want to consume our content. You guys are the best. God love you, and enjoy. And here's the Betty White surviving to 2017. Come on, Betty! One more day! Welcome to the inaugural episode of Catching Foxes on LayEvangelist.com. Catching Foxes is a weekly discussion show on all things culture and the impact that it has on our faith, especially for young adults. My name is Michael Gormley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Luke. Say hello to the nice folks, Luke. Hey, guys. This is the first episode, the best episode, the most wonderful episode, the happiest episode, the scariest episode, the most episodic episode of Catching Foxes. I am the co-host, Luke. With me is my buddy, Gomer, and we're here just two average 30-year-old white dudes here to talk about faith and culture. I'm sure you've never heard anything like this before. And Squarespace, we're waiting on your sponsorship. Oh, Luke, that was wonderful. Your intro was so long before you actually said the title of the podcast. I didn't think you were going to get to it. Your words hurt. And if you were to look on the app that I use, Downcast, you'd see probably about 25 podcasts or so at any given point in time that I am perusing. And I realize I consume a ton. It's a little ridiculous. And and I really became convicted that I've got to start to give. I need to be I need to stop uh, uh, consuming and start producing. And it really did hit me because this is, I mean, we, how long have we actually talked about doing a podcast? Gomer, he might be gone. I I just, I just kind of said, you know what? I've got to do this. I have to do this. I don't care if anyone doesn't, uh, doesn't like, listen, I have to do this because it was just on, it was put on my heart that, I've got to give. I am consuming way more than I, I am than I am giving, and and that um, really did hit me. And I love the quote from John Paul II, where it says, "Be profoundly who you are." And that's one of the great things about podcasting is you get to talk with your friends, which is about stuff that you care about. You could just 
just be you. And that's one of the things that we are trying to do. We're just trying to be us. We're trying to give stuff to the world. We're trying to create stuff because love is creative. It doesn't have to be a blog. It doesn't have to be a podcast. It doesn't have to be anything in the media. You just have to be you. And that's what this podcast is about. It's just us being us. This is honestly how we talk here is how we talk in everyday life. Probably kind of sad for people of our own age, but it is oh, what it is. My name's Gomer, and I'm joined by my co-host Luke, who has no last name. Step one, one, we can do anything. Uh, that's from New Kids on the Block. My first concert, by the way. Did I ever tell you that? Uh, I'm sure you did in some nightmare that I had. New Kids on the Block. I was eight. My mom thought that'd be appropriate. And was Thanks, it? Pat. Oh, yeah, of course it was. I mean, it was a little bit odd. I was there with Emily, who was six, who was the target audience. Um, I'm sure this explained why I couldn't get girls in junior high school Oh, I mean, that's one of the explanations (laughs) The other one was my poofy hair and chubby body What does the fox say? Did I have a girlfriend in junior high school? No, I don't think I did Because they're part of the same news service as my paper And Mm. uh, so some editor calls me and she says Hey, you know, we, we recently printed your your article And, you know, someone wrote a letter to the editor And we wanted to run your picture with it and I was like, why do you need my picture with a letter that someone wrote about something I wrote? And she's like, oh, well, you know, it, just, it would just make sense. I'm like, I want you to read me the letter because I could tell this was going somewhere. Not Clever girl. <laughs> also, and, uh, it's coming from Austin. Yeah. So <laughs> so, um, so she reads me this letter and it was from, a, I believe, a 60-year-old man. And he said that she's a, who had never seen my picture who said she's a virgin because she's probably not a hot babe. Mm. And frankly, I beg to differ. But I said, (laughs) you know what? I said, I will send my picture, and I'm going to send a good one. And I did, and, you know, they printed it. Um, but so I'm going to send that, one wearing a bikini, <laughs> <laughs> like Luke's photo that we're going to put on the website. <clears throat> You're welcome, America. Well, Luke's photo is more of a tankini. <laughs> 20 bucks a month, just to... Okay, just to let you know, tithing means giving 10%. It doesn't mean donating. Oh, sorry. Whatever. No. Listen, I make money here. I mean, shit. Beep. In the last podcast, you said you're from Cincinnati. This podcast, you say, I make that money. Okay, sorry. We were on such a great roll. But anyways. Exposed to a pornography. Who exposed you? Um, it was a friend. His dad had a, um, a national, I mean, his stepdad it ended up being kind of bad. His stepdad had like just a trunk, an entire trunk filled with porn. Yeah. And we just like had complete access to it anytime his parents were gone. Yeah. It's complete utter. And then Did his actually, wife know. Um, yeah. Cause, um, he, yeah, it was really, it was really screwed up. They found that a bunch of were missing. They confronted other Oh, the son, the son said, yeah, it was me and Luke and this other guy. And they called our parents. And I will give my parents a lot of credit for this. They confronted me about it. And I was like, no, it's a lie. It's a lie. And they said, we don't want you to be looking at this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's okay if you did. And and they meant okay. And, and I understood this in the moment that I wasn't bad because that it was bad but i wasn't bad because i did that yeah 
that that's a struggle that now that I was an adolescent, this is going to start to happen. Yeah. This now, is just a part let of me, Let me contrast that with my experience. Mm-hmm. My parents never caught me with pornography. Ever, ever, ever. Ever. One time they came very close, but they never caught me with pornography. Yet, my experience of my brother and my brother's friend, especially who got caught with pornography, was a scream fest from my mom. And I knew from that moment I had better hide it or else I would no longer be the best son, the good son. Mm. Right. So my oldest brother, great guy, but not the good son. My brother, Chris, watch out, rebel son. And then me, the good son, the religious son, the one who loves his Catholic faith son, the one who defines himself by his Catholic faith, the one who, when he was 16 years old, got a Chevy S10 pickup and then wrote Catholic boy, posted (laughs) stickers called Catholic boy on the front windshield of his uh, car. That that's who I was. It was my identity was derived from my Catholic faith. Um, to fall from grace in my parents' eyes would be a fate worse than death. And then I went to my first Steubenville conference when I was 16, 17 years old, 17. And I got back from that conference a changed person. At least I hoped. And I told my parents of my addiction to pornography. Uh, In one sense, I told them that I looked at pornography. So they got Cyber Patrol or something. One of those mm-hmm. software things. My dad did put it on my computer, which was still in my bedroom even afterwards. Put it on my computer. Uh, my parents don't understand computers even to this day. And I do. And welcome to America Online was my gateway to pornography for years and years. I'm uh, oh, sorry. No, no, no. What are you going to say? Do you think that – because that's something that even though my parents – I don't think I went down that road. I mean, it's definitely been a struggle mm-hmm. in my life, but I don't think I went down on the way that a lot of guys that had that experience that you kind of had, and especially those who were exposed to it at a young age. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it was still a problem, but I don't think it was at the level that – guys like yourself who had been exposed to it very young before they even knew how babies worked or how they were, you know, how they were conceived. Do you think that parents, one, obviously they didn't know that that was, that was happening when it came to things like on a VHS tape. Do you think they really had any clue how bad it was on the internet and how accessible it was to, Two guys our age. My at that time. parents had no clue. If I say to my wife, um, my beloved, my betrothed, I do, I, I marry you, but at the same time I say, but I reserve to myself, you know, the right to be un- as unfaithful as I want to be. Um, well, then I'm not really saying I do to her. I'm not really giving her marriage or, or myself in a mar- marital covenant. So an annulment looks at those questions. Was the person freely making an act of consent and were they making an act of consent to what marriage actually is? And many people, because of, you know, especially in our generation, because of the way that they grew up and the things that they've seen, uh, it's true that because of the culture of death, many people aren't able to consent to marriage validly or they don't, they don't, they aren't consenting to what marriage really is. And so that's where 
where this process comes in to look at the question and say, was this thing marriage from the beginning um, or was this um, maybe a good faith effort, but it, it wasn't really entering into this covenant, this objective reality um, from the very beginning. Uh, you know, perhaps had, had them undergo a psychological evaluation and then is saying um, with moral certitude. So a judge has to say this with moral certitude, which means he stakes his own soul on it. With moral certitude, I declare, you know, that, the, that these people entered into something that um, all, all having considered all the evidence was not marriage. Um, and I, put, I make that moral certitude point because a lot of people think like, oh, the church just, especially the church in America is just giving these things out and there are so many annulments. There are so many annulments. And the reason for that is because um, we have a profoundly broken culture, um, not because the church is giving them out freely. And, and part of the reason I know that is because uh, when a judge signs, and I, I, I don't work in tribunals anymore, but I have, when a judge signs that paper, he's saying with moral certitude, I, I stake my soul on my affirmation that this marriage is invalid. And I think you know, you've got to, you've got to do that with integrity, or else you um, you're going to hell. Could you take a little bit off the top, off the top, and then the the lady cutting your hair just goes, "Nature already did." All right, easy, fatty. <laughs> a lot of people don't understand about our sin is that it's. It's not just a thing that's on paper that you have violated. There are natural consequences to that, both to yourself and the relationships that you have, both with God uh, and with your friends and your family. Like there's absolutely, absolutely, there are ramifications, and we forget that. Father God, we just come before you, Father God, and just, just, we just ask that you, Father us, God, that just, just. Yeah, we're just here. We're just here with you. You just and you're just and we're just and we're trying to be just, but we're unjust. And we just we just come before you. We need Jesus. We need God. Like, I, I, I swear we're at a point right now where I'm so tired of people wanting to catechize. I just want to scream. We need to talk about if God is real or not. Yeah, this is what I'm going to I'll get into. So. One of the things, as you guys all know, that we really try to strive for is just being vulnerable and being honest and saying, like, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm dealing with and having and trying to dive into that and really having a conversation as opposed to here's this thing. Here's an answer. Everything's great, kids. Uh, mm-hmm. I was praying in my car. And as many of you guys know, I have a job that involves Catholicism. <laughs> And people, and I'm in my car, and I am praying, and all of a sudden, I'm hit with this utter realization that God is not real, and it's all bullshit. Like, that's that's honestly, like, what I thought. I was like, none of this is true. None of it. And just this utter emptiness of 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 almost discovered, like, the only thing I could compare it to is, you know when you've, like say you've hurt Shannon feelings and you realize that you've hurt her feelings and just how horrible that feels when you, it's, I almost, I used to explain to my students, that's what purgatory is probably kind of like this utter horrible realization of truth and the a conviction and the purification that comes from that. I had that same, I had that exact same feeling, except it was about God not being real. 
And all of a sudden I'm like, what do I do? Like, this is my job. My job is to go out there and to proclaim the gospel to others. My whole, my like whole, all of my relationships are based on this. What am I going to do? How am I going to, and this is all a matter of like 10 of the 20 seconds of just this horrible emptiness of like, none of this is real. I have a podcast that I'm like, what am I, or I talk about this stuff where people are actually for some weird reason, paying attention to the things that me and my best friend have to say about this stuff. And none of it is real. And it was one of the worst things that I've ever felt. Well, what happened? Take us through it. I I just, how did it end? Let me say that. Or did it? It ended with, the resolution that I was going to keep going that because one of the things that I've really begun to understand through prayer is that this is the thing I have to, uh, I have to renew each day and I have to be okay with those doubts because one of the things that honestly, I have a very hard time with the resurrection. Now, before we get into this one, the views I express here are not that of my employer to, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, I believe in the resurrection, but as a person who's experienced profound personal loss, both of my father, of the majority of my grandparents, and one of our very good friends, the resurrection is so hard for me to grasp sometimes because I love the idea. I love the idea of the resurrection. I love the theology behind the idea of Christ conquering death. I have such a hard time, though, right now with where I am in my life understanding the reality of a person rising from the dead. And how do I process that? I just, I don't know. Every day I just have to renew that faith. Honestly, I have to pray every single day and really dive into that and really go, this doesn't make sense sometimes, but I cannot deny what you've done for me in my past. What I see you doing right now. And I just, and it's, I'll be honest. I once had a really great friend of mine who I would love to have on on this show. He was a Protestant pastor and he hit a point in time in his life where he says, I don't know if I really uh, believe anymore, but I hope more like he goes, I'm about 48% doubt and around 52% hope. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. I, I couldn't understand that because I was so for sure. Like, yes, it's all real. And when I, I allow myself to really let those doubts, when I started to acknowledge those doubts and really be okay with it, I went, oh, I identify with that way more than I could ever imagine. So a lot of times I cling to hope that knowing that so much of this, this has impacted my life so so much that there's got to be something there. There's got to be some truth to all of this. I, I, I mean, there have been so many times I've come this, I mean, so close to changing my religion on Facebook to agnostic. And I can remember going to, uh, when I was out in, so I moved to Eureka, California, like a week and a half after my dad died. It was insane. I flew in there, got in at 1130. I was teaching at like nine o'clock the next morning. Just the craziest thing ever. One of the best things that I've ever done. But at the time, I hated everything about my life. I mean, I, like, I literally hated my life. Uh, and 
I remember that whole year just being so up and down. Like, I don't know if this is real. And I'm teaching religion classes. And I'm like, how am I teaching? I wasn't, I was barely praying. I was just so, and what's interesting, I wasn't really angry at God. Just, uh, I, I guess the only kind of word I could really come up with is disenchanted. Just very like, ugh, I, I, what, what is this? What, what, ah, uh, like this, that, that's, that's a sound. Still, that is, this, like, is this still a thing? Really? Yeah. Like, are we really still doing this? Um, and you know, I was in a, I was in a horrible place. It was like the fattest I've ever been. I was like 320 pounds. No one really understands how fat I was. Uh, I just look like, um, as my sisters would say, you look swollen. Um, <laughs> Just the weirdest thing. And I remember being on the phone with uh, one of my ex-girlfriends who was just an amazing support during that time. And she just goes, and I was really just, I was putting it all out there. And I will never forget this. Uh, She said, what a grace. Like God's giving you this grace to where you can teach these classes and do all this stuff. And still keep going, even though you're not doing anything to really support yourself. I mean, I was barely going to mass at that point in time. Yeah. Because I was just so like, I can't keep doing this. And it's just, it's insane. And that's one of the things that I always point back to is like, I went through that and God, and I'm somehow I'm still here. You know, I mean, I can remember just so many times that I was just like, whatever, I'm done. And then just something in my heart, I'm like, I can't deny that this is, you know, there was this band during that time that I loved named a gasoline heart. I really recommend you go and check them out. Uh, and it's basically a guy, I call him like a post, a Christian rocker who almost got big, who basically had a band about everything and who talks about stuff that happens after you're a Christian rock star. And so it's very much just about like, I'm drunk and I feel empty or God's barely there. And he has this beautiful song on uh, their album, uh, of course, I'm John a blank. And, but it's the first song on that. Oh, it's called um, Everything's Worse or oh, something um, like that. And it's just like him and his guitar. And uh, he goes, uh, last night I spoke with God. He remembered the things that I forgot. Everyone has their shit. He pled his case, hugged my neck and kissed my face. And I remember just really almost taking that up to prayer, just being like, you're with me during this. You know what's going on here. And that's all I got. It was during a healing mass and a woman just, you know, wigged out, you know, it was really awful. And, and, uh, I'll never forget. I mean, I won't be able to describe it over the, over the airwaves like this, but, but there were like 500 people at this mass and this woman was just saying the most vile things, just, just terrible, terrible things, screaming them. And the priest, you know, who I was close with said, take, take her into the sacristy. And so I like grabbed this lady and she's just like, ugh, just screaming horrible things at me, like struggling. And we go, and I had never been in this church before. It was brand new. And so I opened the door of the sacristy and it was like, the only way I could try was like a moon shape where like the door was at the beginning of the moon and then it arced backwards and there was no door in the back. And as soon as I opened the door to get away from the Eucharist, she just bolted into the back and the lights were off. 
<laughs> I mean, it's like a movie, you know, and uh, and I didn't know where the light switch was. So I'm like, like, like literally like peeking my head and like, hello, are you in there? You know, not knowing where this where this lady is. So I like am like creeping along the wall, like feeling for the light switch, you know, and finally I, you know, flip the light switch and this poor woman is up on a bookshelf, per, like a perch, like a bird, perch, like a bird. And like hissing at me. And I mean, I mean, I might as well have just lost it right there. I mean, I was so scared, you know, at that moment because it just caught me off guard. But uh, Mm -hmm. but it was uh, incredible. And I think every day I thank God for that woman, because I that night I witnessed, you know, on a you know, some really crazy spiritual warfare. And I, you know, it, it just like embedded my faith. And actually, every time I speak, like at conferences or anything like that, I always think about that lady because I think I'm not necessarily here to build community. I'm not necessarily here to help you psychologically. I'm not necessarily here to make you feel warm and fuzzy. I am here because we have an enemy, right, who is real and will take us if we give him a chance. And so I always thank God for that. But that woman, um, you know, was eventually healed um, through the ministry of this priest that I was friends with. And so, you know, it was just an incredible faith building moment, but I was scared. You know, I was very scared going home. I remember by myself um, from that, you know, cause I, you know, I was scared just to drive anyways, but you know, I, then I had to go home like that. So I love the fact that that was your first time behind the wheel yeah. of a car. You're right. like, just going to healing mask. It'd right. be pretty cool. Yeah. Right. And then, a, yeah. I thought I was awesome. going to like catch people who fell over, you know, and then sure enough, that was happening. But as far as like the craziest thing, you know, I've ever seen. Um, that wasn't it. No, no, the no, and no one even will believe what I say. But but basically, the I'll next, believe. the very next case that we <laughs> that he asked me to to help with. This time I was warned ahead of time. You know, he was a, this guy was a clairvoyant, and so he you would walk in the room, he'd immediately start talking about things that he about you that you know you you never told anyone. Really, you know, he'd say things and you're like, oh my gosh, this is just crazy, you know. But he had been in this battle for so long that he had kind of learned how to fight back himself. So he'd come in and out of this demonic trance, you know. And I remember specifically one time he was rolling around on the ground and he reaches into his pocket, you know, and pulls out a, a little tiny bottle of holy water. Okay, and he he's put put it on his head, squirting it all over his head. And as as I'm standing here today, I saw steam come right off of his head. It was the craziest. Oh my god! Yeah, I was like, that is nuts, you know. And uh, and during that um, during that same session, uh, under command, the priest was was making him recite things, making the demon recite things, and it was about the Eucharist. He was making him recite things about the Eucharist. And still to this day, the most eloquent and beautiful catechesis I've ever heard on the Eucharist was from the mouth of this, this demon, because he, he, you know, I mean, they obviously understand it even more than we do. They just despise it. But I remember, I remember him talking about, you know, how this is God stooping low to us, to his children, stooping low to his children so that he can hear us closer, you know, but uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Like, I'll be honest, at times, this is a thing that I struggle with. Not just like, is this really as real as we all like act like it is? Right. You know, and, and, and I'm, and I, 
and I am not trying to put down your stories at no, all because I like no. I I mean you, you are a friend so I so I believe you one hundred percent. It like just blows my mind. I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. Like wow, that's just crazy. Yeah, and uh, you know, like I I never talked about this. I mean, I talked about like with Gomer and like a few close friends like my involvement until about three years ago when I just like started to see how much bad information was out there. So now I speak on it all the time and there's always someone who'll come up and say, I listened to everything you said. And I just, I just can't believe what you're saying to me. I just can't believe what you're saying to me. And, you know, I can understand that because it is strange. It is bizarre, but, um, it's, it's such terrible information that is out there. Like Googling things like demonology and even, Catholic demonology, even Catholic deliverance, like you will just find millions of pages of wrong information and bad stuff. Why are the most wrong people the most vocal? Right, right. <laughs> Let's talk about the the environmentalist. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, first of all, I met a bunch of environmentalists, like a bunch of people who were yeah. there specifically because like the credibility on the environment. And this particular one, she was a young girl and she had worked for like all the different radical environmental agencies that like, you know, places I couldn't disagree with more. <laughs> but now she I think she saw how radical they were because yeah. many of them are so anti-life and she doesn't work for them anymore. But she felt like that protecting the environment was a first principle for her. She felt like, look, we're born into this world. Yeah. So shouldn't one of the first things we do is protect the environment. And she felt like because no churches are saying this. They didn't have their first principles right, and so she couldn't listen to the rest of the stuff they said. Mm. So we, we talked a little bit about that and like just what, what it means to have first principles and things like that. Um, <laughs> but she said, you know, Francis has kind of opened her up to that. And so we started talking about like the creation narrative and Eden. And, you know, I'm a big uh, St. Francis of Assisi nut. So we started talking about how Francis like, you know, experiences a new Eden because of his holiness and how the real thing that puts us at, you know, at uh, uh, what do you want? harmony with nature is, is holiness, you know, is like a, a balance between us and God really. Yeah. And, um, and so she was like digging it. She loved it all. She loved it all. And she was like really interested in it. Um, but it would just took that little bridge of, of the Pope saying, you know, this is really important. We, this is for all of us, you know? Yeah. In, uh, in your post, you talked about, um, that we will need to expand our idea of who Francis is building bridges to. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean by that? You mean all these people and, Right, right. You know, uh, be, yeah, because, I mean, you expect people who are, like, maybe even nominally Catholic to be in line. These people were radically different than that. They were – it was not even in their, you know, mainstream to, to, to even consider the church, yeah. you could tell, five years ago. You know, but this is, like, for some reason – well, we know what the reason is. You know, the Francis effect, they're, like, interested in all this yeah. And and it's opening up bridges. The, the the girl said that you know she was having a really hard time because she would read everything he wrote about the environment, and she said she'd read one line about the environment and then ten lines about Jesus, and she'd be like, "What is you know? Why is he associating the two? You know, for for weeks and weeks and weeks." So it was like really interesting. Yeah. Wow, that yeah, is it was awesome. Like the most important thing that happened to me spiritually in my adult life, including my marriage and the birth of all my kids. Wow. Wow. Uh, sorry, Shannon. Oh, she doesn't listen. That's why I get yeah, to say no, things like <laughs> Totally fine. <laughs>
<laughs> now, I need you to realize that when you mentioned the word charismatic, you lost like half your listener base, so you're back down to three people. Oh, oh no. Andy and my sister and <laughs> that Christian guy. Oh yeah, yeah. hey Andy, good to good to you. talk to you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we don't we don't want the traddies listening to us anyway. Just kidding. Well, Just kidding. And I want to clarify that because I in high school went to the Saturday night mass and I sang in the choir with these seventy year old people and we sang every Sunday Table of Plenty and City of God and all of those other OCP songs that you really wish were dead, right? Absolutely. And I go to Franciscan, and I had no idea that it was that charismatic. And actually, my freshman year, I hated it. Really? Yeah, I hated it so much. I was like, like you hated the school or the charismatic spirituality? Yeah, the charismatic spirituality. I, I just thought it was like fake and emotional and dumb. I was like, we're adults here. We don't need to do all this stuff. We should be praying. So how did you get into it? Uh, the way I got into it was the way that you got into it. I was talking to a, a, the founder of my community, Father Paul Koska, who was a good friend of ours, who uh, Gomer knows very well. And I so converted does Luke. him. Continue. He did. I know him. You do know him very well as well. <laughs> I'm needy. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> so I was pretending to study one time my freshman year. And <laughs> That's true. That's very true. It is true. <laughs> so we were in the study room in Francis, and Father Paul was like, we need to talk about prayer. And so he just, that's my impression of Father Paul. That's not what he really sounds Nailed like. Nailed it. No, it's, it's spot close. On. pretty close. Spot on. Thank you. Thank hey. you. <laughs> so Father Paul comes in, and he's like, we just need to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit because I think God has big things for you. And I was like, Okay, I'll be generous and I'll let you pray with me because I don't really want to study anyway. So, okay. And all of a sudden, like four people show up and it's a bunch of us in the study room in Francis, Hall and Franciscan University of Steubenville, and they just started to pray with me. And I had no idea really what it meant to pray with someone or over someone. And then I started to go to AMDG, our Catholic frat, um, praise and worship on Wednesday nights. And I remember we would sing a song, and I loved the sound of men singing. And the reason I love the sound of men singing is because you never hear it. I mean, you hear Luke do it every now and again, you know, when he sings Sail Away or something. <laughs> but we don't even sing, like, the national anthem anymore. Like, we let whoever has the microphone sing the national anthem as the rest of us just stand there, you know? So the sound of men singing is never heard, and the sound of AMDG men singing echoed through campus. So I loved that sound. And then after the song was done guys would like start to tell God who he was out loud. And I was like, what are they doing? This is like loud and annoying. And let's just sing the next song. And then after praise and worship one time, they were like, okay, so if guys want to get prayed over, let's, let's pray over guys. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get prayed over and I'm going to prove these guys wrong. Like I'm going to prove to them that this is emotional and it's all baloney and that this is not real prayer. So these two guys, Stu and Carter, are praying over me. Oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I probably wasn't there. Go on. No, I skipped that sure. commitment. <laughs> I skipped that commitment. <laughs> probably more likely. And, and, Luke, uh, Luke was, let's be honest, Luke was talking with a girl. That was when I turned 21 and we were drinking. <laughs> you were having an emotional... Why Why did I break up with her? Why? Why? <laughs> Listen, me and Gomer were downstairs playing Grand Theft Auto 4, drinking and listening to Blindside, and it was awesome. <laughs> hey, not during household commitments. I was faithful. 
You Coach. were an RA at the time, so that was your excuse. Yeah. Sorry. So, anyway, so you're praying with so Stu holiness. and Carter. <laughs> right. So they're praying with me, and all of a sudden, Stu opens the Bible, and he reads this passage, and it's, You are my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And the first thought in my mind is, that's God the Father speaking to God the Son at the baptism. Like, God would never tell me that. And once I said God would never tell me that, something inside of me said, yeah, but you need to hear that. And then again, I heard the voice say, it wasn't like Stu's voice again, but it was this echo in my head of, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I was like, wait, God just spoke to me. He just called me his son. That's kind of a big deal. And so from there, all of a sudden I was like, this is a thing. This is actually something because I am a good guy. Like I went to church all the time growing up. I was the, the altar server, right? I was the guy in youth group that knew everything. I was like Gomer Light for my youth group in Georgia. And it was, it was just incredible that I had this real experience of God calling me his son. And then from there, I started to enter into this, this kind of charismatic prayer. And I don't like to call it charismatic prayer because I think people think of that word and they like run away. They're like, oh, it's emotional and running around and screams and all that stuff. 80-year-old men really with really glad tambourines. Like yeah. Exactly. So I hate that stuff. But I love the fact that God loves his people so much he wants to be in relationship with us now. And when I teach people, like, hey, let's just pray with you, I turn to the catechism. The catechism, in its section on praise of God, simply says, when we praise God, we tell him who he is. So I just tell somebody, just tell God who he is. Just tell God who he is. So, And that's how it starts. We just enter in from there. And then when I start to pray... Unfortunately, I'm like a bull in a china shop. I just run into whatever the Lord is running with, and I just go there too, and it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> the Lord points, you run. Exactly. So- Franciscan, Franciscan, he keeps pointing at me and saying, Franciscan, and I go, no, no soy Francisco. Uh, hermano religioso, necesito ayudar, anyone, anyone? This is like during Mass, this is happening. <laughs> And after Mass, these Americans, it's the priest. It's it's just incredible. After the Mass, these Americans come up to me, and they're like, hey, what do you need? And I'm like, we just kind of start talking, and and they end up, I told these people I needed to get to Lourdes, France. And they said, it's about 200 euro to get there. And all of a sudden, these people pull out their wallets, and they start to hand me money. And they just start to hand me money. And I look down, and all of a sudden, I've got about 220 euro. And I just ran. I was like, thank you. And I just ran out of the church to the train station. So I buy a train ticket to go from Barcelona to Toulouse. And then from Toulouse, I got to get another train down to Lourdes. And I was told it was 200 euro. And Ignatius of Loyola had done this. And so I was trying to be inspired by Ignatius. And I took the remaining money I had, the 20 extra euro, and I found a homeless guy and I gave him the 20 euro because I didn't need it anymore. And I wanted to rely on God's providence again when I got to Lourdes. So I take the train to to Toulouse and I go to the train station to buy my second ticket and I'm 20 euro short. I had given away the money Uh. that I needed 
to the homeless oh. guy. Oh, so and stupid. I was like, so stupid. I, was, <laughs> I was so miserable. I was so miserable. So I was homeless again for two more days in Toulouse. Wow. Was, that's, so, I mean, okay, keep going, but I want to come back to that once once you're done. So No, no, interrupt keep me. Going. What's your question? Like, so I know we're going to talk about how it all like worked out, but what I want to know is what the hell happened when you were homeless? Like what was like what was your mind like what was your mental state like like I I don't I could not handle that like so can you just kind of explain like what because I think when like when like I want to hear about like the bad times when you were like freaking out or like scared and like how that resolved if it yeah. even did at all yeah I would I would never say I was scared my first night on the streets in Barcelona I would say that mm-hmm. but I mean I'm six foot four two hundred and sixty pounds. I used to be able to bench over 300 pounds and squat a small elephant. Like, I'm a giant of a man. Nobody yeah. messes with someone my size. That's you true. Know? Yeah, yeah. I get that as well. Like, I, I'm not scared to go anywhere for the most part. Right. People, yeah. People look at me and they're like, oh, wow, let's just kick him down a hill and roll him. And <laughs> he's clearly an intellectual. <laughs> poke, 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 with, like, sticks. Hey, look at that guy. He clearly spent his high school days sitting in a chair drinking Dr. Pepper on the internet. Watching Law and Order in between is uh, AOL chats. Okay, Luke, take it away. Alicia, what did Alicia have to say? So she had a really great question that I thought I thought was awesome. Here's a topic that I am wondering if you guys could touch on. Sacrifice. Not in the Latin way, but in the old world way. Why was sacrifice important? What was it? Why the sacrifice of the Mass and why we have the liturgy of the Eucharist that we have? why Christ offered himself as a sacrifice and how can we tap into that notion today as 21st century people? Great question. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of people can identify with this next part uh, that uh, sometimes I feel out of touch with the liturgy because the notion is foreign to me. Interesting. Like, so I, I think the heart of this is what the hell do we mean when we say the sacrifice of, of the mass? And this is not going to be, catechetical although oh, i'm sorry we'll probably have some parts there but we really want to kind of like dive into like no, no no like what does that mean to me as a person who likes to likes to watch how i met your mother like what does that actually like how does that apply to me and my and my own life here in 21st century america not just you know the theology behind it i think for the first part you have to sacrifice actually having a sense of humor in order to watch and like that show. That show's amazing. And if you dish, if you diss that show, end of podcast. I hate that show. That show hates you. I know it's true. We've, we've never been able to see eye to eye, <laughs> mostly because it's a show and doesn't have eyes. But still, we can't see eye to eye. I love how she said, like, no, no, no. Don't tell me the precious little things I give up during Lent, right? I love that idea. It's, mm-hmm. it's like when we say sacrifice, we are such. First world problem people. We're like, oh, am I going to give up my excess soda drinking or my excess candy eating? What am I going to give <laughs> I'm up? I'm on a sweet low because it's Lent. <laughs> yeah. I, <don't... laughs> I only drink stuff with aspartame because it's Lent. I'm getting skim milk in my latte because it's Lent. And I don't want to get all milk because it's fat and I need to lose weight and it's Lent. Can we keep going on with this one? Oh, my God, I have so much meat. I can just eat it. Oh, crap, I accidentally <laughs> ate it on Friday. I'm surrounded by meat in my mouth all the time. It's Lent. I don't want to eat candy, but it's Lent. But I feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm so fat. And I just can't eat Lent. It's Lent. Candy. Lent. Fat. Candy. Self. No, Jesus. 
Yeah, I exhausted that. I'm sorry. I tried to top you, and I was. It was just. Listen, we all know that Michael Gorham is a man who can't be topped. Wow, man, that is the second best thing you've ever said to me. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I love you. Usually, I just start off and I tell them, um, you know, I just kind of say who we are, who I am, and I share our story, you know, as briefly as I can, just so that they know um, that we've been there in some capacity and. I think when we lost Mariah, um, I, I noticed like people either either some people didn't really approach us at all or some people did. And, you know, there was that they kind of felt awkward and they didn't know what to say. But I learned quickly that anything, whether it was asking about um, how I was doing or remembering, you know, when when the, the baby's due date approaches, um, that was a first date that was, you know, hard to get past. We lost Mariah on February 2nd, and then March 22nd was her due date. So when March 22nd came um, came across, and I just I kind of felt this this heaviness and this loneliness, and nobody really knew officially what her due date was. I don't know if I had maybe never shared it. I don't know. And I just remember feeling lonely, so I thought, okay, you know, not at that time when it happened, but later on when I looked back, you know, pretty soon after I was I was able to just recognize that if when that happened to somebody else that that's when I would reach out to them. I mean not not just then, but I'd make sure to reach out to them then on you know anniversaries or the day of the month. So if you know we lost Mariah on February 2nd, so you know on March 2nd, like if somebody reached out to us and they just remembered you know a month goes by, two months go by, life goes on and people so easily it's natural. Life, life is going to go on. But, um, so I always told them the story and that I'm praying for them. And, and I always put in there, um, every time I word it differently, but just letting them know that I'm not trying to say like, I know exactly what you're going through, but just know that, um, we've, we've lost a child as well. And, and we're praying for you and with you. And if they're Catholic, um, I'll say just rejoicing that we know that the baby um, is in heaven and we have this prayer, you know, this intercessor. And um, we, we were one of the first in our community to have suffered loss. And then it was just kind of crazy. In, in the following years, we had a f friends who lost a two-year-old oh. daughter. She just didn't wake up. And then we had friends who lost a seven-month-old little baby girl, little Kate, who um, had heart surgery and, never came out of the surgery. Oh, yeah. And we had um, friends who at 20 weeks, they found out that their baby was not going um, to live full term. If she was born, she wasn't going to live very long. And, you know, many people told them, you know, just go ahead and abort. And um, they carried their baby to term and baby Kana lived for, I believe it was 27 hours. And, um, so we kind of, my friend Christine or Christina, um, we call her Chris. She said we kind of paved the way. And so they kind of watched how we did it, how we went through it. And, um, and so I, I reached out to them knowing that other people might not, because you don't know what to say. Um, but people seem to be a little bit more, um, it does. It's not as weird, I guess, when we approach them because they know we're not just speaking out of, you know, we just want to say something. But I want to. I want to say that you don't have to be. You don't have to have experienced that to reach out to somebody. Because for me, the biggest things were just people asking how we were 
or just saying that we remember or um, we're thinking of, you know, we're thinking of you because a lot of times um, I made the mistake when our, our friends who lost the two-year-old, um, I didn't know how to reach out exactly because I didn't want them to think that I knew what they were going through because it was very different. Um, you know, the loss of a child is still a, a, a terrible loss, but they had known her for two years. Um, we never met our daughter. You know, she was she was stillborn. Um, so it was, and I and I always regretted that, and I and I've I've shared that with her since then. Um, but just saying, I, I wish I would have reached out more because I was one of the only ones who did know suffering in any you know out of her friends in, in any capacity. So be, having reached out in any way would have meant a ton. Um, and I had reached out to them, but just not as much as as I do now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 24. This is a different episode. The whole subject matter is completely different. We wanted to talk about why old people can't stand Pope Francis. And then after five seconds of me talking about a woman that I admired, Beverly, who died recently, a mother, a wife, an awesome person, it immediately segued into someone that me and Luke mutually lost nine years ago. He was an awesome son, an awesome brother, an awesome friend. On the rugby field, he was known as Mr. Glass. We're talking about our friend Matt Covey, who died tragically nine years ago in Steubenville, Ohio, in the Ohio River. He was a hilariously weird and utterly uniquely confident human being, and his faith was deeper than I could ever hope to have. So this episode is kind of like the eulogy that we never got to have together because Luke was with him about between the two of us about a week before Matthew died. I actually was the one that got to go to his funeral because Luke was in the Virgin Islands. This is the first time that we've had this experience of talking about Matt and what he meant to us and what his death meant to us. This is not a sad podcast episode. There are elements of it. I've recorded this intro like 15 times because I may or may not have cried every single time. Matt is certainly a worthy topic of discussion. And everyone that knew him, I hope you find that these stories and the stuff that we talk about honor him greatly because that guy deserved it. God bless. Traumatic. Like, I can remember two years later, I got really drunk on a New Year's Eve. And I remember just calling a person and talking about Matt, and I'm I just started sobbing. I was we were at Jimmy Ruth's place, and and <laughs> Joey got me drunk, and I just started sobbing in a in a stairwell. And I just remember our buddy Brian Gistner just going, "It's terrible. This happened. It's terrible. It's okay, Luke. It's a terrible thing. It's okay to be upset." <laughs> like over and over again, and I'm just like sobbing hysterically, going like, "My best friend is dead." Like just I don't know. It was. Those were dark times. They were. I don't know where I'm going with that, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> the way you think about it, um, for me, um, the coolest thing of all was being at that funeral with the program. And I have the program saved from the mass at my house because, um, well, one, they gave us all uh, St. Benedict crosses, a priest that was really close with him did that. And, uh, 
Um, man. And uh, it had this amazing quote from, uh, an extended quote from uh, St. Um, John of the Cross, um, some of his poetry, and from a poem called, I Live Yet Do Not Live in Me. And I, I just want to quote some of it that was in there, uh, if I can. And I remember just saying these words over and over again whenever I like, you know, you just miss someone and you just think about it and you just say it. I would find such consolation that his parents chose this and I don't know. So the poem goes, I live yet do not live in me, am waiting as my life goes by, and die because I do not die. No no longer do I live in me, and without God I cannot live, to him or me I cannot give myself. So what can living be? A thousand deaths my agony, waiting as my life goes by, dying because I do not die. This life I live alone I view as a robbery of life, and so it is a constant death with no way out until I live with you. God, hear me, what I say is true. I do not want this life of mine and die because I do not die. Being so removed from you, I say, what kind of life can I have here? but death so ugly and severe and worse than any form of pain? I pity me, and yet my fate is that I must keep up this lie and die because I do not die. The fish taken out of the sea is not without a consolation. His dying is a brief duration and ultimately brings relief, yet what convulsive death can be as bad as my pathetic life? The more I live, the more I die. And when I begin to feel relief on seeing you in the sacrament, I sink in deeper discontent, deprived of your sweet company. Now everything compels my grief. I want yet can't see you nearby and die because I do not die. Although I find my pleasure, sir, in hope of someday seeing you, I see that I can lose you too, which makes my pain doubly severe. And so I live in darkest fear and hope, wait as life goes by, dying because I do not die. Deliver me from death, my God, and give me life. Now you have wound a rope about me, harshly bound. I ask you to release the cord. See how I die. See how I die to see you, Lord, and am shattered where I lie, dying because I do not die. My death will trigger tears in me, and I shall mourn my life. A day annihilated by the way I fail and sin relentlessly. O Father God, when will it be? When I can say without a lie, I live because I do not die. And community is a big part of that because I, I think some of us live uh, like such individualistic lives that part of what community has done is radicalize me, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you end up becoming more generous when you hang out with generous people. You become more courageous when you hang out with courageous people, you know. So, you know, I've been to Iraq and Afghanistan with different peace delegations and things like that. But all those things I did because there was a sort of a critical mass of uh, prophetic peer pressure, you might say, you know, kind of pushing that direction. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for my community and I'm, I'm grateful to Jesus. You know, I, like there's there's no one more more radical than Jesus. Um, and w- one of my friends, uh, Elizabeth Kennedy, I think it was, she uh, was writing an article about the Pope and everybody's fascination with the Pope. And uh, the article w- uh, said in it, if you like Pope Francis, 
then you'll really like Jesus. <laughs> because part of what's so remarkable about Pope Francis is that what he's doing is remarkable at all. You know, I mean, he's doing what mm-hmm. popes should be doing. Uh, but it is remarkable, you know, when we see someone living faithfully, because what we've done is we've divorced um, our faith as a doctrine and, you know, belief system from our lifestyle, you know, so it doesn't always translate into authentic, you know, faithful living. But, you know, in the early church and in the life of Jesus and in so many, you know, monastic renewals, of course, the Franciscans, you know, who uh, the Pope's namesake, uh, mm-hmm. like St. Francis, and these folks have really inspired us to, to integrate the things that we believe into a lifestyle so that Christianity isn't just a set of beliefs, but it translates into a way of living, you know, and, and at the end of the day, it's what Jesus said, you know, they'll know that we're Christians, uh, not by our doctrinal statements or by our t-shirts or bumper stickers, but by the way that we love. This is how I saw things. Okay. I know I didn't think he existed either, but guess what? He does. And he loves you. Right. And I honestly thought they would be like, Oh my goodness. Dude. Wow. I'm like, I know, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've it, been there. It didn't go down like that many times, but nope. that, that's all right. I remember know? one um, time when I was a freshman in high school, I told a girl who was spiritual but not religious, who was tending towards Buddhism, that Buddha didn't die for her sins and she would se- be separated from God for all eternity. And she just looked at me and was like, I don't think I want to talk to you anymore. And I was like, well, <laughs> you're the incredibly gorgeous popular one, and I'm the, I'm the troll-looking guy, so uh, much ado. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> you're like, what do I have to lose, right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Turns out there are a couple rungs underneath where I was currently at socially, and, and I went there. Things <laughs> <laughs> were original or, you know, revolutionary. I was very aware of that, and yet what else do you do yeah, no when you feel moved to get the word out? And so I remember trotting down to my office the next morning and starting up a really dinky little website. It was called whodoesithurt.com. And um, shortly after, a priest got in touch with me and said, you know, I like what you're doing. And I said, I'd like to make it, you know, a little better. He said, how much do you need? I said, well, you know, maybe $12,000. And he said, here you go. I said, oh, thank you very much. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, so God bless him. Um, Yeah, so we we kind of started that. We changed the name to The Porn Effect. And, you know, just started getting invited to speak on different things. Like the Irish Morning Show had me and Cameron speak on it and people can watch that on youtube that was like (laughs) six years ago uh the two of us and i think they were looking for a sob story right they were looking for oh matthew was you know up to his eyeballs and just terrible stuff and poor cameron but instead i think what they found was two people who were just evangelizing like woo, you know like god is good sex is good he's got a beautiful plan for your love life and he doesn't want that beautiful plan to be thwarted and made boring by Pornography, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of where it all started. That's really cool. That's uh, so like that. When you talk about this, this, this stuff, that has to lead to some pretty like interesting experiences. Like, what's been like kind of the most out of like left field? Whoa, <laughs> that was awesome. Or like, whoa, that was horrible. Yeah, I mean, I could give you stories all day. Here's here's a couple. While I was in Ireland, um, I invited a. Someone I met, uh, she was a former pornography performer from California. I flew her out to Dublin, and we rented the jazz club in Dublin, Ireland. 
And uh, I interviewed her on stage while we both had a Guinness and chatted. And I remember the jazz club saying, hey, I'm going to throw in free audio and visual for bringing a porn star to Dublin. And I, I, remember, I remember saying to the guys who were working with me, nobody tell him we're against porn. Let's just let him find out on his own, you know. And so we created some flyers in Dublin and we would hand them out. Hey, come on, there's a free, you know, porn star going to be speaking about the reality of porn tonight. And, wow. and that, was, that was real fun. So that's kind of an out of left field sort of thing. Uh, that's so great. <laughs> frustrated because i've one of the things that i've struggled with really honestly ever since my first steubenville uh youth conference back in uh, 97 was the feeling that god is doing things in everyone else's life but mine i was not the kid who i didn't get any crazy emotional experience during adoration on a saturday night you know and all that stuff and blah 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 and I, i feel and now in hindsight i've seen that god has just worked really slowly in my life. Like God speaks to me for the most part, pretty quietly and through like what I would call stern conviction, right? Just, and, um, and it just gets hard when you're around people as you know, when you're like on Facebook, like all the time where it's just so like their spirituality just isn't mine or like God works in their life or, or speaks to them in a, in a way that is really, apply to me and it and at times I, I think i can be envious of that and i feel like i'm failing and so while while i was like praying and stuff it was this huge thing and you know the guy who was like a really good friend of mine the he was the deacon there he was trying to like uh lead everyone through all these like prayers all these like prayer steps i'm like I, this doesn't do anything for me like this doesn't I, I like and i was i'm like you know what i'm kind of tired of this not doing anything for me i'm kind of tired of doing all of the things and going yeah god worked i mean i didn't get anything out of it but still you know like god worked and i just was like this is ridiculous like this is just ridiculous like i can't fake this and I really honestly was like, I can't even like, like, I wish I could just walk away, but I can't. I just want to walk away and just take a break. But I can't because I've got a podcast. My entire job is based on all of this. I can't escape you. I don't understand this. And I honestly and it, it, to a point of where I was like, I just want a break. I feel like you aren't like letting me like I can't. I can't escape. And I, and I, and I just remember going, I feel like an abused spouse who just keeps coming back because it's like, well, where else are you going to go? And I remember just being like, I, I mean, just like being like, just so angry and just being like, I hate you. Like, I, I hate this. I hate, I hate this. I'm trying and nothing's happening. It has never, I've like, I can't even tell you when my conversion like moment happened. I've never had it. Sorry. I'm like just going off right, right now. And so I went to a priest and I went to um, confession. And I said, this is what's going on. This is what I just said. And I'm like, and I know it's wrong. I don't want to do this, but I just want to walk away. And he goes, well, like, how's that going to solve your problems? And I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> and, and, and just, and he just kind of like walked me through like, just like step by step just going, like, have you acknowledged that like, this is your your cross and have you given that over to God? And I was like, no, we haven't. And it was just, and it was actually like really freeing to be able to go, okay, like this is my cross and just, I have to deal with this. 
and I don't have to be because I feel like I should be the cares. I, sh- I should be the crazy charismatic leader because I grew up with that stuff. I mean, it's, it's I've been around in my entire life. But when push comes up to shove, I just. I don't know. It's just not me. Please hang up and try again. I need to add up a bit. And Aaron was like, hey, I think you should go and talk to a doctor as opposed to your chiropractor. And I was like, yeah. So we were kind of going back, back and forth about that. And while we were talking about it, the back part of my head started to hurt. And of course, this is while I was lying down. So I was like, it's still not better. Like this, this really sucks. And yada, yada, yada. And it's slow. This was on the back left part of my head by my neck and it started to go to the rest of my to the rest of my head and I started telling Aaron this like really hurts and we, we I thought it was just a you know headache or I was starting to notice it because we were talking about it and then all of a sudden like the whole left side of my face kind of started to hurt and then I felt the uh I felt the left corner of um of um my mouth started to go numb uh-huh so Aaron was like, okay, we're going to the ER right now. And I was like, okay. And, uh, yeah, it was great. I was, I, cause it, it was really weird because again, we were talking about it and then it started to happen. Like we were just like, uh, talking about like what to do about all oh, my neck pains and then stuff started to happen with my head. So it was like really weird that this happened while we were, uh, while we were discussing it. I'm really glad it didn't happen while I was, as- while I was asleep. I have no idea what would have happened if that had been the case. So this is all I'm going to say is like, uh, one, you can't vote for Donald Trump or you're an idiot. Just, you're just an idiot. Like you're so stupid. Any, anyone who's like, like, this is the thing I'm this, I'm going to get, I'm to glad, I'm glad we're point. starting out with a rational argument. Cause you're an idiot. This is my, pre- <laughs> this is my preamble. If you think that like, there are people who are like, man, Hillary is so bad. I got to vote for Trump. Do you understand? Hillary Clinton is bad. Hillary Clinton is like, uh, you know, like, you know, like the senator, uh, like, you know, like, okay. Like, you know, like the senator who like sneaks in and is a Hydra, like Gary Shandling in Captain America. Right. Gary Shandling is a senator who works for Hydra. That's like Hillary Clinton. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Donald Trump is like the Red Skull. It's like your is fucking Hydra. So it's yeah. like if I'm going to choose between someone who's just a shitty, corrupt politician and somebody who is a monster who could end the fucking world, then I'm not going to vote. Like it's, they're not in the same category. It's like, man, you know what's really re- what tastes horrible? This terrible vegan Nutrigrain barf bar that somebody's making me eat as part of their vegan cleanse. You know what else tastes terrible? This actual shit. <laughs> like they're not in the same category of bad. Like they're not in the same category. If you need a rational reason to know why not vote, to vote for Donald Trump, there's a million of them that have been written passionately and with patience and intelligence out there on the internet in the Catholic blogosphere or in the regular blogosphere. There's a million reasons why PJ O'Rourke has a great quote. There's a million people talking about why you can't vote for him. Uh, like, or you could just Google any quotes and be like, yeah, oh, I was gosh, say, or just hear him talk. So how, so, okay. So like you're a kid having all this stuff happen, like happening. What's your compass? 
mm-hmm. for all this? Like, what's your guide to kind of just to try to like, like, how are you explaining just the issue with your like own family and within your, just like your own, your own like mind, like what's the driving force, but like, what's kind of like guiding you along? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the good force, right. Was just that love and acceptance that I got from people in the Catholic church. Yes. I struggle with same sex attraction. Yes. I, I have sexual addiction, but I have never once been like rejected from anybody in the church at any point. And you all know this, like, no matter how much people on the outside or people in the world may think the church rejects you, the church rejects you. People in the church have yet to reject me, as many people as I've come out to this about. Um, and so the driving force in a positive way was just the love and the care of the church. And yes, I agreed with the church teachings, but I only agree with the church teachings because I trusted the people that were teaching me because they were loving me. Um, and I know that is not the case with a lot of other young people. So I absolutely empathize with people that you know may end up bitter or resentful or very hurt by the way they were treated in the church, but that was not my case. So the the, the love and and the acceptance was the good driving factor, and I would say the the sort of negative one, the way that I coped in terms of I guess you could say a moral compass was dissociation. You know, and dissociation is something that happens to people with addiction and other people. Where I simply just dissociated from those behaviors, those bad behaviors, whenever I wasn't acting out. And so it was really effective if I wanted to lead the youth group. And, and, and I was the MC at our diocesan Catholic youth conference standing up in front of a thousand people. I was that senior in high school that all the girls were, you know, wanting to, to hang out with and get his number. I was, I was up there. And then in the darkness, like I was just rampant, you know, in, in pornography and masturbation and, you know, just desperately wanting, you know, male intimacy. Um, and so the only way that I could cope and, and move on with my life is simply to just dissociate and pretty much live two separate lives. Think about it. Like I think about the podcast constantly. Yep. Did, did you get my text message where I was like questioning everything about it and, and if it was even any good? Yeah. And I just ignored it because I knew, <laughs> I knew in 45 minutes that would go away. And I'd be like, no, I was feeling really anxious. I, Cause I honestly had a point where I thought, I'm just going to quit. Like I'm really holding him back. This is stupid. This isn't going to go anywhere if I'm doing it. We're not. Cause I was just so in a place where there was all these like Catholic apostolates, different things of all this like big stuff happening. And I was like, we're never going to be at that. At this level. It's not going to happen with, with me. This is pointless. Luke, you know what we are, me and you and catching foxes and the catching foxes reverse empire. We are the Syro Phoenician woman talking to Christ. We don't want the Catholic EWTN audience. No, we just yeah. want the scraps right. that fall from the master's right. table. <laughs> we want those people who don't feel like the <laughs> Fox News, EWTN, Fox News, why, you know, cycle is, is what we want, is how they're going like, to live their lives. We want the people who fall through the cracks and who make inappropriate jokes and drink maybe one or two inappropriate beers. <laughs> you want to know... What I hope is that we're the podcast that gives you hope during your walk of shame. That as you're driving back or just Ubering back from a huge mistake and you just need some hope that you just pop this bad boy in and you're like, hey, I'm going to go to church today. Right. If they if they made it, there's hope for me. <laughs> but oops, I left my keys. Ooh, that's going to be weird going back in there. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name again? Yeah, I left my keys. <laughs> Thank you. 
You Another better fucking edit this shit out. I am, I am, I am. I didn't, I didn't mention anybody's names. <laughs> right, right, right. No, none of this is going in. None of this we is name going. names here on Catching Foxes. <laughs> F*** you, Joey Ruth. <laughs> It's so weird. It's like we can only hang together in the context of fun things or yep. or nothing. Yeah. You know, and it's well, only individually. So, yeah. Meh. I mean, like, I'm going to listen. Yeah. My wife, my life fucking fell apart. My life fell apart. OK. And no one like no one like calls me up, dude, and says, like, how you doing? <laughs> you know, like they don't they don't fucking call me you know and that to me is the biggest crock of shit you know yeah. but i i mean and i'll be and, I, and i'm not i'm not thank god my faith is not dependent on other people it's not dependent on some youth minister that was nice to me and that's why i'm faithful you know at all it's dependent on jesus christ and the cross and like the reality of the church and suffering but like <laughs> like dude I'm, I'm be honest with you. No one fucking calls me up and says, how are you doing? There's a couple guys, Mike Spire, the f- most faithful fucking dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, old, old faithful, old faithful, old faithful. dude, you know, and like, and like people are like, why? Like I'm friends with some peripheral dudes who were, yeah. have shit like messy lives. You know why I'm friends with them? You know why I call them up? Because they need to be called. Like they have messy lives. Like, yeah. You know, okay. Like we have fr- friends who have been through some serious shit. Like I fam, I am close to friends with my liberal cousins <laughs> yeah. than I am. Like who? You know why? Back to your original point. Because they give a shit about my fucking life. They give a yeah. shit about my life. Well, this is catching foxes with Luke. Really excited about. Uh, um, of the meetup. Don't know where Gomer's going to be that night. Don't know where Gomer is now. So, No, no, no. You're doing a great job being Catching Foxes all by yourself, buddy. You're doing a great job. Everyone's proud of you. You have nice hair, etc., etc. You know what I just did there, Luke? I lied. Everything was a lie. Etc. Etc. If you are attending the Seek 2017 conference run by Focus, ladies and gentlemen, we are doing a Catching Foxes slash That Catholic Couple official meetup. It's going to be Friday, January 6th in San Antonio at the Grand Hyatt Hotel's Bar Rojo. That's right, Bar Rojo at the Grand Hyatt Hotel starting at 11 p.m. on Friday night. You're going to go, the party's going to go until they kick us out. Why? Because you get to chill with Luke from Catching Foxes and the Glazes from That Catholic Couple. What could be better than that? That Catholic Couple has an official Facebook page, event page just for this. You can hashtag, and get ready for this, hashtag CFTCC Meetup. CF for Catching Foxes, TCC for That Catholic Couple, Meet Up. Gomer will not be there, but who cares? You wanted Luke anyway. 